we thankful for the Christ Church worship team who consistently creates an environment where we get to connect with God in song. Well, I hope you're ready to connect with God through the word because I have a, a what I believe to be an on-time word or in-season word for wherever you are. Would you join me in the place of prayer as we prepare to hear from God? Lord, I'm so thankful that I get this awesome privilege to share with individuals you love deeply. Be with us to leave your mark on us and transform us from this day forward. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. You know, I can recall growing up and practicing ninjutsu from age 9 to 13. I took up ninjutsu slash kickboxing. And one of the ways we would get our belt promotions, I believe I was going from yellow belt to orange belt at the time, is that we had to take a test. And this one specific test was one of resilience and fighting. I remember they made me stand in a circle of fighters around my age group. And I was in a circle of fighters, and unbeknownst to me, each of them had a number. And my sensei would be on the corner calling out numbers or be in the corner of the room calling out numbers. And when those numbers were called, they would come and swing at me and punch at me and try to fight me and take me out my stance. And I had to defend myself. So I say that to say, needless to say, you know, when it was coming, I'm, I'm there, they're calling out five, three, four, and I'm getting boom, boom. I'm getting punched in the rib, punched in the head, kicked in the thigh, punched in the leg. And oh man, it felt like onslaught after onslaught after onslaught, kick after kick, and I was getting hit, and I had to persevere. But if truth be told, life can feel like my orange belt test, where you're standing in the middle of an onslaught, punch after punch, kick after kick, trial after trial, test after test, setback after setback. It can feel like a never-ending fight, a never-ending whirlwind, or a never-ending storm. The title of my talk today is Victory in the Storm. See, a, a storm is technically defined as a violent disturbance of the atmosphere. It's usually accompanied by thunder or wind or lightning, and it's a violent disturbance. One of the, also, one of the other definitions for a storm is a direct assault by troops on a fortified place. So it can really feel like that experientially, like there's a, a violent disturbance in my atmosphere of life. There's a direct assault on the experiences I have in my life. And what victory in the storm connotes is this, we can have the ability to overtake the storm before we allow the storm to overtake us. Victory means I could still be me. I could still thrive. I could still walk the way God has called me to walk even in the midst of a storm. The question then becomes, what does scripture have to say about this? What does scripture say about storms in life? And I want to lean in on a passage you may have heard at Sunday school. Or somewhere, it's a somewhat familiar passage, Mark 4, 35 through 41, where Jesus calms the storm with the disciples in a boat. And just because this is a familiar passage, I don't want us to grow numb to some of the truths that are ebbed in there. 
that's, that, that rich, that text is so full of, just chock full of tools. And I don't want to dull in our potency to this text. But keep in mind as I prepare to read it, that Mark 4, 35 through 41 comes after a series of teachings on the kingdom. And so Jesus is giving his disciples this opportunity to not just hear sermons on the kingdom or parables on the kingdom, but to live out what it means to be a kingdom person. Now they have to flesh out all the word they've been hearing Jesus teach as they get ready to cross over to the other side. Mark 4, 35 through 41 reads, That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. I'll stop there. There are three questions I want to lift from the text that we can contemplate for ourselves if we're going to attain victory in the storm. And the first question is this. What did he say? What did he say? Mark 4, 35 tells us clearly, it says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Very early in this passage, we learn that it's Jesus's idea to go to the other side with his disciples from where he was doing ministry. This is important to really own. This is important for us to understand because often when we experience trials or tests or setbacks or all types of issues in our lives and they come and they seem to come all at once sometimes, we often think to ourselves, God, what did I do? What did I do to disobey you to deserve this storm I'm going through? And you kind of feel like when Jonah, Jonah in the Old Testament, right, he experiences a storm because he's running away from the will of God and he gets in a boat and he gets thrown over in the middle of a storm. But I want you to understand, this is not a Jonah experience. There was no disobedience. The disciples were being extremely obedient to the will of God, following Jesus, and nevertheless, a storm comes. So a storm can happen whether we're walking in disobedience or whether we're walking in obedience. The reality is you can get delivered or you can get victory whatever storm you're in right now. Whether you made a misstep or whether you're walking directly in alignment with the Lord, you still can get victory in the storm. And so the question is, what did he say? He said, let us get over to the other side. He gave his word. Speaking of God giving his word, I, I think of a, 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 an associate of mine who does 
outreach and ministry for gang members, him as a former gang member. I'll call him Joe to protect his identity. And Joe does outreach through hip-hop. And one of the things he did as a former gang member, he has all his tats and still a lot of his gang tattoos all over him and everything. He looks like he, he's really about that lifestyle. And he went to this one neighborhood, a part where many people don't want to hang out, a tough neighborhood. He did a whole rap concert in the middle of the street. And, and he felt like God was calling him to do that. He felt like God put him there for, for a time such as this. And there was a gang member hearing his testimony. And as soon as the, the, the concert was done, the gang member runs up to Joe and he says, hey, Joe, listen, I believe the gospel you're preaching. I, 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 I want to accept this Jesus. The only thing that's holding me back is I'm scared to leave my gang because I don't want to get jumped out. In order to get out the gang, they had to put you in the middle. Sometimes you didn't survive, but they gave you a thrashing, a beat down in order to get out the gang. And he said, I don't know if I could do it. It was at that moment, Joe felt like God put in his spirit. What did Jesus say? This is what he put in his spirit. He said, don't worry. I'll take the beating for you. You can go get your gang leader. Now, let me just say parenthetically, that's one of those things that's coming out your mouth that you might feel like, hold up, can I get that back? But Joe said for some reason, not that he was not fearless, he just said, man, I don't know why. I just felt this resolve that God wanted me to do this. And so sure enough, that gang member runs, gets his gang leader and comes and he tells him what he wants to do. He wants to leave the gang for Jesus. And the guy's like, then let me go meet Joe. The gang leader walks up to Joe. He sees him. Now Joe is getting ready for the beatdown he might have to take. And the gang leader says something to Joe, and he looks at him in his eyes, and he said, hey, can you tell me about this Jesus that has you willing to take a beating for a stranger? Not just the gang member, but the gang leader went on to accept Christ. Why did I share this message? Or why did I share that story? What did he say? Because God gives promises. He had a promise that they were going to the other side. And like Joe, you might feel like, whoa, what storm did I just get myself into? What kind of mess did I possibly get myself into? You got to remember, what did he say? What's the promise that you're holding on when you're filled with fear? When you feel like all I have is the doctor's reports that are going antithetical to me living a long life. And all I have is this messed up marriage. All I have is this broken relationship with my children. And that storm just feels like it's coming in. And my question is, what did he say? What did God say? Because if God said it, then he's going to do it. When we get into those moments, we got to hold on to a promise. You may say, I don't have a direct line where God spoke to me audibly. I can't hear that. Hey, I'm not saying God can't do it, but I do want you to know there are 66 books in Scripture where Jesus has a lot to say, where God has a lot to say, and there are promises you could hold on to. I don't care what storm you're facing. The question is, what did he say? And if he said it, then he's going to do it. When Jesus said, we're getting to the other side, they were going to get to the other side. One theologian put it like this. Jesus did not promise an easy trip, but he did promise a guaranteed arrival to the destination. I can't promise you an easy trip, but if God said it, you're going to get to that destination. What did he say? 
As we continue to read, though, there's another question that comes right from that text. Not only what did he say, but what should we do? What should we do? Mark 4, 37, 38 reads, A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Again, what should we do? I I think to myself, this had to be quite the storm. How do, how do I know that? Because many of the disciples in that boat with Jesus were experienced fishermen. A storm wouldn't have been their first rodeo. It wouldn't have been the first time they experienced something like that. But this might have been a, a different type of storm, something they've never experienced that seems so aggressive and so uh, uh, ferocious that they're like, whoa, what is going on here? And now it has them concerned, some experienced fishermen concerned, and, and they see the boat getting filled with water and, and almost getting inundated with the water. And sure enough, what do they see? They see Jesus just sleeping. In the stern, he's on a cushion, lounged up, lounged up, just in a perfect, just calm, tranquil place. And they're looking at that not as, not as, hey, you know, he he he's got my back. They look at him like, man, he he's not on his assignment, he's not on his job. Jesus, what are you doing? Let me say this. I think the disciples first tell us what not to do when we think about what should we do. I think they show us what not to do, but if we're honest, we often do. What do I mean by that? Right away, the disciples saw Jesus' disposition and automatically thought, Jesus, you're really about to let me drown. So often, we see Jesus not responding the way we think he should. That was the disciples' issue. Not that Jesus was doing anything wrong. He simply wasn't moving the way they expected him to move. And sometimes, if we're honest, when God is not moving the way we expect him to move, we start to question, is he for me or against me? And and so the disciples go into this, don't you care if we drown? We start to misappropriate God's care for us. We start to misappropriate God's concern for us. We falsely accuse God of not really caring about me. And I say falsely accuse because that's not in his nature. If you're his own, he deeply loves you. Any one of us can fall into that trap of forgetting that he truly is for us or that he even truly loves us. There's a professor friend of mine who is now in his early 70s. I share this because as I think about this retired seminary professor, I'm reminded that this is the same professor that has trained leaders in the Lord's church He's, he's spoken on theology. He's planted churches. He's impacted individuals. People that call him mentor are influencing thousands. And he is truly an effective and effective professor. He's anointed. He was appointed. All the nice words you could say. This guy knew his word, knew his stuff, knew theology, loved the Lord. And then all of a sudden, 
as he's retiring and getting ready to sit in the breeze, so to speak, still mentor, still do all that, but just kind of take a step back. He gets struck with a physical ailment that came out of left field. His nervous system was being attacked to the point where his legs were barely moving. He wasn't really able to walk effectively. This is a man that's always been healthy, always been upright, always been able to stand on his own too, so to speak. And now he finds himself with a physical ailment that doctors weren't able to tell him why it happened or what was going on. And now he's struggling with his health to the point he had two floors in his home. He said, I would cry sometimes at the bottom of the stairs because I would always walk up these stairs and I could couldn't get up these stairs at this point. And he's like, all these people I've trained and all these people I've impacted, and I'm in that moment wondering if God forgot about me. Like, God, I've been serving you for decades. Do you even love me? Because his ailment went on for months and months and months to no resolve. He said it was at his lowest point where he questioned did God love him. That God sent a woman, he's a married man, sent a woman that's further along in age, out of respect, spoke to the wife and said, I feel this assignment to pray for him. And I'm going to intercede for him every morning at a certain time. You can join me in the place of prayer. He said he took that opportunity right away and, and he would call up with this intercessor that was called by God. And sure enough, she would pray. Little by little, his feelings started to come back. Doctors started to get answers. And he started to listen. Get this. He would crawl up the stairs on his forearms and just worship the Lord. And he said one day it just hit him. He broke down that God truly did love him. Not just because he got his healing to this day he's healed but because he was over overwhelmed by the sense God you really do care you really do love me forgive me for the times I doubted you and I think someone needs to hear that today I don't know what you're going through you may not be able to walk even in the spirit or physically but you can crawl you can get to God and still remind yourself oh Lord you really do love me you really you really are there like the disciples Jesus never left the boat he's still right there so then what should we do? And I'll answer it like this. You acknowledge his presence. That's what we do. We acknowledge his presence. God is still there. You may not feel him. You may not sense him. You may not understand it, but I can assure you God is still there. He may not be functioning the way you desire for him to function. He may not be answering the prayer the way you desire for him to answer the prayer, but God is still there and he loves you. And why do we acknowledge his presence? Because in his presence, there's perfect peace. There's a peace that surpasses all understanding. And if Jesus himself in the middle of a storm could rest his head on a cushion, why can't I myself rest my head in the cushion of God's presence? Acknowledge his presence. He loves you. He's there. He never left. In his presence, there's perfect peace. There were two painters in a contest, and they had one task, and the task was each person paint a picture of peace. The first painter painted this beautiful tranquil work of art. He used the right warm colors. He painted a sea that was calm. He painted a sunset that was 
gorgeous. I mean, it would just, it, you just looked at the picture and trank, you know, just being tranquil. It just rested on you this sense of peace. That was his version of peace. The second painter, he took a different approach. He painted almost the very opposite. He painted a sea that was full of waves and all over the place. Then he painted some very dark, dark clouds and he painted lightning into the picture and he painted high winds and nothing looked. I mean, you just saw that part of the painting and, and, and it just, it gave you anxiety just looking at the painting. The thing was just, it was crazy. And then right at the corner of the painting, he puts a little bird in between two big rocks and in between those rocks is this bird just chirping, just singing, just going along at peace. And you say, well, what's the better painting? I think the better painting was the second painting because the reality is God's peace is where God's calm can override your concerns. God's peace doesn't mean the storm is over. God's peace just simply means God has, has, has now shifted something in you to know that even in the midst of all the chaos, you can still walk upright in an alignment with God. Even in the midst of all the chaos, you can still stand firm-footed in who Jesus is. You don't have to look like the trial you're facing. Oh, that little bird in the picture, he didn't look like the chaos he looked like he was at peace. And I want you to know there might be wars breaking out. It breaks my heart. There might be stuff breaking out in your family. It breaks my heart. There may be stuff breaking out in your cities. Oh, man, that stuff breaks my heart. But I want you to know there's a perfect peace you can tap into that is not dictated by what's going on outside of you. I love what Dr. Kirby Clemens He's like a father to our house, a friend of the ministry. He would always say, you know you've been in the presence of God, in the presence of God. Not when it's just a high worship time and song and you're weeping or you're taking laps in the church or you're jumping and shouting and screaming. And that's cool if that's your thing. He says, but you know you've been in the presence of God when God's presence shifts your perspective. When that mountain may still be there, but it's no longer a mountain, it's a mole because your perspective has shifted and you have a perfect peace and alignment with God. I don't know the texture of your storm. All I'm saying is what should we do? I would say acknowledge his peace. Acknowledge his presence. Know that he's there with you. He's in it. And God can bring a resolve to you. In the innermost parts of your being, he may not change the environment, but he sure enough can change you in the midst of right where you are. The last question I want to deal with from this text, again, we said, what did he say? That's when we hold on to the promise. Then what should we do? We acknowledge his presence, and in there is perfect peace. And then lastly, what do we learn? What do we learn? Let me just remind you of the last few verses in Mark 4, 39 through 41. It says, he got up, speaking of Jesus, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him. I want to say this. 
I appreciate the graciousness of God. Because even in our frailty, you see the disciples are frail. You see, they quickly forgot who they were in the boat with. You notice all that. But even in our frailty, he doesn't shun us. He doesn't send us away and say, get it together. But he does make a rebuke. A rebuke is simply a, correct, a correction. And there are two things that get rebuked in this text right away at that point. Firstly, he rebukes the storm. He brings the storm to a calm. He tells the storm to stand still and be still. And that calm happens. And right away, that, that ferocious storm comes to a little calm like never before. But then he goes on to make a second rebuke. And, and and he kind of looks at the disciples. And if, if I could say the gospel according to Lionel, it's like, did you forget who I am? Did you forget that just a couple moments ago, you saw the miraculous that I was doing earlier in that day? You heard teachings on the kingdom, and yet your unbelief still got in there? Come on. When are you going to believe? When are you going to believe that I truly am who I say I am? Why are you so filled with unbelief? And so the first rebuke is to the storm. The second rebuke is to them. And it's a gentle reminder to us that when we think of what do we learn, I'll submit this to you, that the, greater, the greatest enemy we'll face will never be without on the outside of us. The greatest enemy will be the enemy of unbelief that we wrestle with in the inside of us. And God needs to rebuke. Yeah, he can rebuke. He can correct the storm that you're facing. Oh, but more so, oh, the heart of the matter is generally a matter of the heart. Sometimes he has to deal with the unbelief in us. And I'd argue that's the greater storm. The one that goes on in our heart, in our minds, the way we're processing this experience, this trial, this test. Nevertheless, the disciples are there and they're like, whoa, whoa, Papa. Even the winds and the waves obey him. What? They said they were terrified. Yeah, they saw this guy already cast out demons. They saw all types of stuff, but they see this. This is another level of, of power they see. And so they learn quite vividly in that moment that Jesus truly does have authority. He has authority over the winds. He has authority over the waves. He has authority over the situation. And, and, and it's a reminder to us that God is always in control. I love the way Martin Luther says, even the devil is on the leash of God. You can never, there's no Adam, there's no Io. There is no cell in this universe that slips through the fingertips of God's sovereignty. He is always in control. He is always the authority. Listen, no storm I ever face can override the authority of God. And they're reminded of that truth. And they're hit with that truth. And it's like they say they were terrified. I believe it was like a, a holy reverence, if you Will. And let me remind you, though, victory in the storm doesn't mean the storm has to be over for the storm to be done. Victory in the storm means I don't know what you're facing. I don't know if it's ever going to change on this side of the heavens. But I do know this, that something in you can shift so real that that storm is over, that you're walking in a different way. Why? Because God has done some bidding with you. God has done some dealings with you. God brought a calm to your soul, a, a peace, be still to your soul, a calm and a standstill to your soul that says, hey, Lord, whatever comes my way, as long as you're in that boat with me, I can like you rest my head on the pillow in that stern and on that cushion of your sovereignty and authority to know you have it in control.
I'll close with this story. My daughter is about to be three years old. And her storms that she faces are nothing like the storms you and I probably face. But nevertheless, it's a storm for my daughter. Me being the authority and my wife being the authority in the house, right? We, we set up an activity for her to complete a puzzle. She loves puzzles. And so she was messing around with this puzzle of her name. And sure enough, she got to the point where she was tired of this puzzle. She's like, okay, I'm done. I'm on to the next thing. And so she was going to go from one station to another station in another room. And, you know, as the authority in my home, there's a little, king, a little rule in the king household. A rule in the king household is we don't go on to the next thing until you clean up the thing you were working on. And so hold on. Excuse me. You know, you know the song, right? Clean up, clean up, everybody everywhere. Clean up clean up. You know the song. You know the song. If you don't, you just learned a song. Now, <laughs> so we're cleaning up and she does not want to clean up. Now this is when the storm is coming in her life. She does not want to clean up, man. She is, oh man, she is like, no, there's weeping. There's gnashing of teeth. There's her laying out on the hardwood floor and I can't believe this. And sure enough, I'm just seeing this. Her storm is in full effect. The thunder, the lightning, the kicks and the screams. And sure enough, I finally come alongside. Let's go, hey, let's clean this up. Why? Because I knew on the other side, I had something for her that would blow her mind. My daughter loves magnets, and she was going to be able to put some cool magnets on the refrigerator. And she didn't realize that. Why? In the midst of her storm, there was that weeping and gnashing of teeth. So she finally finished and put things in place. And guess what I was able to do as her dad? I was able to have the authority to bring her to the other side, to where the magnets are, to enjoy the magnets. You know, I've learned in life it can truly be the same with us. I don't want to assume, nor do I know what God is trying to work in you in the storm you're facing. I don't know what discipline he's trying to work in you. I don't know what character trait of or obedience he's trying to work in you. I'm not even saying you got in that storm because of disobedience. I'm simply saying I don't know what God is working out, but I do know this. There is another side, and if God said there's an other side, he will take you to that other side. If you're going to weep and gnash of teeth in the midst of your storm, you can do that. But if you're going to weep, you might as well weep before a holy God. If you're going to gnash your teeth, you might as well talk to a holy God. You might as well just get rid of the, oh, hum, bum, God, what are you doing to say, you know what, like the disciples should have done, I'm going to trust you anyway. I'm going to have victory in you anyway. And I don't know how long this is going to last, but I know this storm will not outlast me. Sometimes you have to come to a resolve to say, Lord, I don't know when my, my medical condition is going to change, when this relational strain is going to change, but I do know that I can have victory right now. And the same way, there's an other side, and God has something for you on the other side, and you better believe you can have victory in this storm. I'm thankful for that. And so we lifted three questions from this text. What did he say? That's when we hold on to a promise. What should we do? That's when we practice his presence. And what do we learn? He has the authority. He's in control. You can currently get victory in your storm. Before we wrap things up, I want to pray for you right where you are. There are those of you tuning in that as soon as I talked about a storm, you already knew how it was applying to you. You're going through a financial storm. You might be going through an emotional storm. You might be going through an addiction. You might be going through a setback 
on your job? I don't know. But I do know the God who's in control. And I do know he can give you a perfect peace right where you are. Not concocted. Not everything's going to be all nice and hunky-dory. But he can be an anchor for you in the middle of your storm. And if that's you, if you're saying, man, I need a fresh revelation of God's presence in my life to know that he is going to give me peace, that I can just trust him in the middle of this storm. I want to pray that God meets you through your laptop, through your smart TV or your smart device, your screen, wherever you're watching me. I want you to know for a fact that God's going to meet you. Would you join me in this place of prayer right now so he can bring peace? Holy Spirit, right now I ask that you bring peace to whoever's tuning in right now. May they sense a resolve, a calm come over their life. That they know without a, without a shadow of a doubt that you'll never leave them nor forsake them. That you're in the boat with them. For some, you can calm the storm right now, so be it. May you do it in Jesus' name. For others, you can deal with the even greater storm in their hearts and calm their hearts right now. So may it be so in Jesus' name. May each person under the sound of my voice know without a shadow of a doubt, you are God, you are near, you are with them, and you'll never leave them nor forsake them. Bring them peace in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Receive what God wants to do right now. Maybe you're tuning in today and you don't know Jesus. And the biggest storm you're facing is the fact you don't know Jesus as Savior. And it's not about religion. It's not about you joining the church. I would love for you to consider that. It's not about even coming in person. I would love for you to do that as well. It's simply saying Jesus can have a relationship with you right where you are. You can start this relationship right now. You say, how do I do that? I would say by praying this prayer with me to receive him as Savior. You may be thinking, well, man, if you know how messed up I am, you would know God wants nothing to do with me. That's a lie from the pit of hell. There's no sin that can outdo the grace of God. You might say, hey, I'm not that bad of a person. I'm pretty good. So from here on out, I'm going to be a really good moral person. That's also a lie from the pit of hell because there's no good deed that will earn the love of God. In fact, Scripture says it's all filthy rags before a holy God. Our only hope is to come to Jesus as Savior. And if that's you, he went to the cross for your sin, for my sin, for your brokenness, my brokenness. Would you pray this prayer silently in your heart after me right now or right where you are, nice out loud, if you want. Say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Wash away my sin that I may know you, that I may live for you, that I may walk with you from this day forward as Lord of my life. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Man, if you just pray with me, I want to congratulate you. I'm so excited for the life change you're about to experience. You can follow the promptings on the screen right now to get some information that will help buoy you or anchor you in your new found faith. But welcome to the family of God. Hey, listen, I hope you enjoyed the service in its totality. My hope is that one day you worship with us in person. And so please take advantage of that if you ever get the opportunity to. But I look forward to seeing you soon. Enjoy the rest of your week.